things. Sure you would, cause you're a dumb turkey. I'd rather mess around. Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game. My name is Bill, this is episode 294. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a glorious Thanksgiving and that you still kind of, sort of like your relatives. I mean, no pressure. You do you. But uh, it's been a weird couple of years, so uh, hopefully, if nothing else, you were able to spend some time with your relatives and found that to be the good experience that you anticipated in the last year when you couldn't spend time with your relatives. More importantly, of course, I hope you've all watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles by now for the first time, if uh, it's your first time, or again, because it's required holiday viewing. I talk a lot about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, I realize, but uh, it needs to be talked about a lot because it's awesome. My Thanksgiving was glorious! I cannot believe how amazing that turkey came out. And, oh, that hilarious thing that happened Thursday morning. Oh, man, I still giggle when I think about it. Okay, full disclosure, I'm recording this before Thanksgiving. So, I I don't know, it may have been a total crap fest. I'm not sure. But, for purposes of this recording, let's just assume I had an amazing Thanksgiving. And I hope you did as well. All right. Not really any news to report this week. There's absolutely nothing going on in the world right now. It's amazing. It's really quiet. Everybody's getting along. There's no drama. There's no uh, tension. We live in a utopia, is what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, let's just all bask in the glory of a perfect economy. and Everyone has the, uh, the food that they need and the education that they deserve and and need to function in a society, and nobody's arguing or, or fighting anybody else, and uh, isn't it wonderful? So yeah, so no news to report, but I did get a tiny bit of feedback. Uh, if you remember the last couple of episodes now, I've brought up, because the first time organically, this time, or last time because of feedback, and now again today because of feedback, in the uh, Halloween episode a couple episodes ago, from from here, I mentioned that one of the origins of horror film was horror theater, one of the big purveyors of which was a, a sort of classic theater that ran for, operated for decades up until I think the 1960s um, in France, which prided itself on sometimes literally making the audience sick with their uh, really graphic frightening blood and gore all special effects of course but really really convincing uh horrible things happening on stage and i by my own admission butchered which seems appropriate uh the name of the theater so sean uh listener sean friend of the show sean uh was there to help so here's what he sent me 
with regards to the, the name of that French theater. Hey, Bill. Um, it's pronounced Grand Guignol, actually. Bye. Thanks, Sean. I, I'm not even going to try to repeat it, but it's it's the name of this theater. I don't have the name in front of me. I think it's spelled like G-U-I-N-O-G-O-L, something like that. Uh, and I wasn't anywhere close to pronouncing it. I'm, by the way, just assuming Sean knows what he's talking about. Uh, I seem to remember him before mentioning that he studied French, and I did not. So uh, I'm just going to assume he knows. Uh, he did offer an explanation. Uh, French is goofy. G-U-I is pronounced like the first three letters of geek. And G-N is basically a French version of N with one of those little wavy things above it that I can't remember what it's called. I responded that, thank you, but I don't care how you pronounce it, I would never want to go there. He offered, you know, I guess if we're traveling back in time to uh, to go, uh, we could be Statler and Waldorf, which is really tempting because I'm a Muppet fan. Uh, he says, when I first heard you mention this joint, for whatever reason, there were crossed signals in my brain and I got it confused with La... So I'm going to butcher this too. La Petamaine, which is a performer, not a show. I'm sure you could find a way to work him into your discussions. Yeah, I think I could. For example... I could tell you off the top of my head, of course, that La Petomaine was the stage name for Joseph Pujol, born June 1st, 1857, died August 8, 1945. Actually, the French pronunciation is La Petomane. He was a French flautalist, professional farter. Yes, that's a profession, evidently. I know many of you have been doing it uh, on amateur status. Some of you might want to consider going pro. Uh, he was also an entertainer. Famous for his remarkable control of the abdominal muscles, which enabled him to seemingly fart at will. His stage name combines the French verb péter, to fart, with the main, M-A-N-E, or maniac, suffix, which translates to fartomaniac. The profession is referred to as flautalist, farteur, or fartiste. All right. It was a common misconception that Joseph Pujol passed intestinal gas as part of his stage performance, Rather, he was allegedly able to inhale or move air into his rectum and then control the release of that air with his anal sphincter muscles. Let this be uh, noted in the history books when the, uh, the massive volume chronicling the history of this podcast is written that this episode, 294, was the first time I ever used the phrase Anal sphincter. Evidence of his ability to control his muscles was seen in the early accounts of demonstrations of his abilities to fellow soldiers. I'm skipping ahead here to see how he died. I have a really bad feeling about this. Let's see. After World War I, he retired from the stage and returned to his bakery in Marseille. Later opened a biscuit factory in Toulon. Died in 45 at age 88. Buried in... Uh, a French cemetery, 
Where's Rafe can still be seen today? I gotta see how he died. Tell me, internet, how did he die? Weirdhistorian.com says he still practiced his anal hygiene. Alright. Even into his later years. Among other places, he appeared at the famous Moulin Rouge. I don't remember that scene in the movie. It was a style of comedy that transcended age, race, gender, and time. In 1892, Pujol stepped before an audience at the famed Moulin Rouge, impeccably dressed in a red coat, black satin pants, and white gloves, and announced, Ladies and gentlemen, presumably he said this in French, I have the honor to present a, su- a session of pétamain. The word pétamain means someone who can break wind at will, but don't let your nose worry you. My parents ruined themselves scenting my rectum. Okay. Little farts warmed up the crowd. He named the toots as he went doing such impressions as a bride on her wedding night. A very little fart. A lengthy ten-second fart replicated the sound of her dressmaker tearing two yards of calico. Then, with all his might, he blasted one in the form of a cannon firing. People were literally writhing about. Women stuffed in their corsets were being carried out by nurses, which the cunning manager had stationed in the hall. Stench was not the nurse's concerns. He kept his farts odorless by giving himself an enema before each show. Dang. Discovered his talent while playing underwater as a young kid. Alarmed by a cold sensation in his stomach, he fled to a private place ashore to investigate. Two liters of water began leaking from his behind. He went to a doctor who laughed it off and advised him to stay away from the sea. Years later, people, when he was telling the story, people asked him to try to recreate such aquatic magic, and he could. Uh, he nurtured his talent by practicing with air instead of water, and the rest is history, I guess. I'm stripping some of this. Like I said, I still want to know how he died. Yeah, 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 yeah. So into his later years, he practiced his trade. Every morning after his evacuation, he would give himself an enema using some two liters of warm water, according to his son, and he was thus always meticulously clean. Mel Brooks paid tribute to Le Petemain by naming his character Governor William J. Le Petemain in the fart-friendly film Blazing Saddles. While still alive, Pujol even attempted to work with Thomas Edison on a kinetophonophactograph film, which was to be accompanied by smell. But you don't want to be misrepresented, so only a few seconds of the film exist. Um, without sound. Well, there's some more articles in a similar vein. Nobody seems to want to tell me how he died, which makes me think it must not have been very interesting. Uh, so there you go. Way more time this episode spent on farts than I would have guessed, but that's just the kind of uh, unexpected weirdness you can expect from this podcast. Tell your friends. Let's get on to this week's game. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller, or swim downstream to my website, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. This week's game is Cakewalk from Comavid, 1983. Programming note, I think in the field report I said 1982. But it's actually 1983. The game was programmed by Irwin Gaines who founded the company Kalmavid, along with Dr. John Bronstein and Dr. Joseph Beale. Erwin Gaines himself was a doctor as well. Don't know why all these fancy titled people founded Kalmavid, but there you go. 
uh, founded under the name Computer Magic Video, which was shortened to Comavid, or Comavid, based in Aurora, Illinois. In addition to developing its own titles, Comavid ported the arcade game Venture to the 2600 for Coleco. Comavid titles also include Cosmic Swarm, Minds of Minos, which I've done on the show, Room of Doom, and Stronghold. The Magic Card is an Atari 2600 programming tool on a cartridge that originally came with a 100-page manual and was only available via mail order. According to Comavid, co-owner gains 50 to 100 Magic Card cartridges were produced. Among their unreleased prototypes were Frog Demo, Mission Omega, Rush Hour, and Underworld. I don't know any of these games, except for now Cakewalk and Minds of Minos, but I will have to check them out. I don't know if those unreleased demos are, or prototypes are available anywhere or not. So there you go. In Cakewalk, something's amiss at the bakery. I'm really tempted to make a Ferg comment here. Like, uh, hey Ferg, why'd you let things get screwed up at the bakery? But I'm not gonna. Um, something's amiss at the bakery. The conveyors are spinning out of control. A torrent of cakes and pies poured it from the ovens. The besieged baker must snatch the pastries before they fall off the end, but avoid the deadly silverware. If that's not enough, there's a dancing gingerbread man that tries to outfox the baker and a surly janitor to sweep up the mistakes. Aren't janitors always either surly, you know, in a game or movie or a TV show or something, the janitor is always either really grumpy or really jolly. There's never like a janitor who's just kind of like, eh, whatever, just an observation. Moving on. You must maneuver the baker among the six conveyors. You can stop one, but neglect it or try to stop another conveyor, and it's on the move again. When you catch enough pastries, you'll earn a coffee break. By which they mean a cup of coffee on a saucer will fly across the screen, slam you in the chest, if you happen to be standing in the way. But if you're not standing in the way, you don't get the bonus points. Rest, enjoy your coffee, and get ready for a new onslaught of runaway goodies. Good reflexes alone aren't enough to avoid disaster. As the pace increases, planning time and margin of error vanish until the bad-tempered janitor won't clean up another spill. Can you catch all the pastries and keep the bakery going until the next coffee break? Test your speed, skill, and decisiveness in Cakewalk, the latest video challenge, challenge from Comavid. So, the manual suggests turning the difficulty switch to B, which on the series telegames is novice. To play game variation 1, the base game, which I did in the field report just to make it a little bit easier to talk to you guys while I was playing. You press the game reset, reset switch, the title screen pops up, or actually disappears, it's already been up, and after a slight pause, play will start. There's not much of a pause, unlike some games where you have to wait for the music to stop. In this one, the game starts immediately while the opening music is playing, so you need to be ready to go as soon as you hit that reset switch. To select any of the 16 possible game variations, press the Game Select button until the desired game number appears. The title screen disappears as soon as you press Game Select, but play will not start until Game Reset is pressed. They give very specific instructions here. Hold the base of the joystick in your hand with the fire button in the left corner nearest the TV. Pushing forward and backward on the joystick moves the baker up and down. Press the fire button and it stops the conveyor belt that the baker nearest the baker. The belt will start moving again on its own after about four seconds, or immediately if you try to stop another belt. A stopped belt becomes red, or on a black and white TV, it's bright or gray. I know a lot of you uh, sort of pride yourself on trying to find vintage equipment to play these games. You know, not just a console, but you try to get a, you know, a vintage TV. Do any of you seek out a black and white TV for any reason? And if so, why? In game variations with belt speed up, Pushing the joystick the right to the right will speed up the belt nearest the baker. I didn't try any of that. 
Pushing the joystick left has no function in any game version. Catch a pastry, get 100 points. You must not touch the knife and fork that appear occasionally. These are the only objects that the patron must avoid. When you drop a pastry, the janitor will clean it up. The number of reserve cleanups is shown at the top left of the screen as a row of red blocks. At most, four cleanups can be kept in reserve. When a pastry is dropped or a baiter injured on the knife and fork, with no cleanups in reserve, the game ends. Periodically, when enough pastries have been caught, a coffee break is earned. Pastries stop appearing, and a steaming cup of coffee appears on the center belt. The game pauses until the baiter touches the cup of coffee, and the coffee will not fall off the belt. When you are ready to resume play, move the baiter to the coffee cup. You will not consume it. He will consume it, rather, and a new and more difficult onslaught of pastries will start. Extra reserve cleanup is earned at the end of each coffee break when the baker drinks his coffee. Gingerbread men appear on the belts from time to time. In some game variations, only gingerbread men appear. They dance back and forth on the belts, both when the belt is stopped and moving. At the end of the game, the title screen returns with your score. Title screen is basically just a big picture of the baker. Uh, your score is visible in the top left. To the right of the score, where the reserve cleanups are normally displayed, are 0 to 4 red blocks that encode the game number that was played. This allows complete photographic documentation of your high scores. I did not take a photo of my high score. If you want to see what I got in the field report, watch the video of the field report, which you can do if you subscribe to the podcast through the Patreon at the $3 per month level or higher. If you want the fastest possible action, play games with the belt speed up feature. Study the gingerbread men. They are more predictable than they seem. They do act somewhat differently in the all gingerbread men game variations. In a fast and crowded situation of a pastry is dropped, use the time taken by the janitor to clean up, stop a belt, and position your baker to salvage the situation. There's a chart with all the different 16 variations laid out. You can decide what works best for you. And then in this manual, they do this weird thing at the end of the manual, one paragraph summarizing what they just told you. I'm not sure why. And then we're told, the next time you are shopping for fun and games, remember to look for Comavid. Comavid Incorporated, Box 3308. Fox Valley Center, Aurora, Illinois, 60505. For fast responses to requests for cartridge repair, write to Comavid Service Center, Box 3326, Fox Valley Center, Aurora, Illinois, 60505. My first wondering is what's at that, uh, well, uh, it's a P.O. box, but what's at that physical location, Fox Valley Center in Aurora, Illinois, now? My other question is if anyone ever actually wrote to them and how they responded. And that is how you play... Cakewalk from Comavid, 1982. Sorry, 1983. I seem to have a block about that. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Atari Protoss notes that this is one of the last releases from Comavid and one of the hardest to find. It was only sold in very small numbers, 
of stores, mostly in the Midwest, and only on the market for a short time before Comavid told it quits. The game is actually pretty good, which is a rarity among extremely rare games. If you think it looks familiar, you're not alone. It looks and plays somewhat similarly to another 2600 game you may have heard of called Tapper, which we've done on here on the podcast. Tapper is a lot of fun. Protoss uh, observes that the games are different enough to be considered distant cousins, but are, have striking similarities. They think the coffee breaks are kind of interesting, designed more like a bonus. Uh, they may sound more like a bonus round, but really it's a, a chance to give the player a break from the action. They think the gingerbread men are interesting. The odd erratic patterns of the gingerbread men can give some interesting gameplay in an otherwise dull game. While Cakewalk isn't necessarily the best game out there, it's not the worst. Catching cakes can be fun for a while, but eventually the monotony will set in. Some of the different gameplay variations add some life to the game, but there are simply too many other games out there that take the concept behind Cakewalk and do it better, such as the aforementioned Tapper. Retroist.com, in a review several years ago, said the game looks great. Lots of great Comavid touches on this one. An animated splash screen, game music, and sound effects. Nice detail on the main characters and good in-game animation. Even some unexpected touches like the janitor. Cakewalk is a very rare game by the company Comavid and is very polished. I think it would make an excellent addition to anyone's Atari 2600 collection. But the game gets exceedingly difficult very quickly. No amount of charm will overcome that impediment. I want to give this game a higher score, but I think I'll have to settle for the very average three stars. This would be four or even five if it seemed possible for me to figure out how to succeed at higher levels. Atari HQ says if a session with Atari's Food Fight wasn't enough to make you hungry, here's a game that will really challenge your sweet tooth. The graphics are simple but colorful and appealing. Pastries are multicolored and reasonably decorated. The best representations are figures of the baker and janitor, tiny but finely detailed. A good deal of the fun of the game, at least initially, is watching the little janitor run on screen with his broom and quickly dispense with the mess. He does take a while to clean up and move on, however, during which time the gameplay grinds to a halt. I tend to believe that younger players and novice gamers might be more inclined to play this game several times. Veteran gaming enthusiasts will probably stick with Tapper. In the Protoss review, they also noted that this game apparently at one time was called Bakery. Atari Age, in their notes about the game, said that it was once called Baker. And then somewhere along the way, they ultimately settled on Cakewalk, which I think is better. Bakery, to me, just sounds like a working title you give something to remind yourself when you're looking at files. What's that one game? Oh, that one is you playing a bakery? Yeah, that one. But it doesn't really attract the eye too much when you're looking for games. Cakewalk, much better choice. I was curious about the term cakewalk, though. And it turns out it has many, many meanings. Wikipedia tells us that the cakewalk, one word, or cakewalk, two words, was a dance developed from the prize walks, dance contest with the cake awarded as the prize, held in the mid-19th century, generally at get-togethers on slave plantations before and after emancipation in the southern United States. These were also called chalk line walk and walk around. It was originally a processional partner dance, danced with comical formality, and may have developed as a subtle mockery of the mannered dances of white slaveholders. The fluid and graceful steps of the dance may have given rise to the colloquialism that something accomplished with ease is a cakewalk. It has also been suggested that cakewalk originated in Florida with the war dances of the Seminole Indians. The authors of Jazz Dance, the story of American vernacular dance, reported that an informal experiment with African dancers undertaken in the 50s turned up no worthy African counterpart to the cakewalk. Variations of it also appeared in minstrels, musicals, popular dance, although some observers wondered if if the dance originated as sort of a mockery of the formality of 
white people dancing, why white people then adopted it as a type of dance in their own productions. The cakewalk was adopted, or rather cakewalk music, which is notated in 2-4 time signature with two alternate heavy beats per bar, giving it an oompa rhythm, was adopted into the works of various composers, including Robert Russell Bennett, John Philip Sousa, Claude uh, Debussy, and Louis Moreau Gottschalk. The American English term cakewalk was used in as early as 1863 to indicate something that is very easy or effortless, although the metaphor may refer to the carnival game of the same name. In present times, a version of the cakewalk is sometimes taught, performed, included in competitions within the Scottish-inspired Highland dance community, especially in the southern United States. A version of the cakewalk seen in vintage film clips from the early 1900s is kept alive in the Lindy Hop community through performances by the Hot Shots and the cakewalk classes held in conjunction with Lindy Hop classes and workshops. Well, wherever the term came from, it's here now in the form of a comavid game called Cakewalk. So, after the break, we put the icing on the podcast cake. Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Come on, Henry, you know how this goes. Bake me a cake. Yes, come on, Henry, take it. Fast as, not you, bug. Fast as you can. Come on. Uh, roll it and pat it and do what? Mark it with an H and put it in the oven for Henry and me. Yay! We're playing Cakewalk today. Um, 1982? I think. I don't have my notes in front of me. Uh, from Comavid. Comavid? I think it's Comavid. We're going with that. We see the baker here on the screen. A bunch of cakes going by. Very you know, gorgeous looking cakes. You want some cake, Henry? Yeah, me too. Alright, let's play. Yeah, sing it. It's a little, uh, yeah, pay attention because the game is up. Ah oh, man, once the music starts playing, the game has already started, and I forget that every single time I start the game. I like the little uh, doozer janitor guy at the bottom. He's an awesome non-player character. They should make a movie about him. Forget Ryan Reynolds. Maybe Ryan Reynolds could play him, I don't know. Free Guy 2, the cakewalk janitor. So I just froze a conveyor belt. Bug, stop with the jingling. I'm doing a really bad job. I'm playing on the easy setting, so it's easier to talk, but it's not helping. And I've made a bad error there. I walked away from a cake. Um, the cakes look good, the conveyor belt looks good. This is definitely Tapper with cakes, which is not a complaint. Tapper's a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun too. I kind of like this game. Very simple concept, but kind of addictive. These yellow hamburger-like cakes kind of look like the space hamburgers in Mega Mania, which is one of my all-time favorites. So no complaints there either. Those bee boops you hear on the audio version of this report are me catching the cakes. 
Coffee time. Get a little bonus for the coffee. Boop. Boop. My impressions are eerie. cleanup left. I'm at a whopping 3,800 points. The worst thing is all the dead cakes. How can we live in a world where cakes are allowed to die? Also, in this era of, you know, inflation and, you know, desperate need for employees, how is it that this bakery only has one dude? working these six conveyor belts. Also, he's not really baking. Oh man, I should've just froze that and caught the other one. Fifty-one hundred points, but I got to play this kind of fun game, which is, dare I say it, the icing on the cake. Uh, Alright, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Dogwater Hunt, alien abductee, many times over, has scanned the skies waiting for the aliens to return to his hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, it's a real place. This year on Christmas Eve, Dogwater believes it will happen. Dogwater's friend, Cameron Jones, a successful novelist, is struggling with writer's block. A talking goldfish? That's normal, isn't it? And a battle with his ex-wife over her plan to move to England with their five-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, up at the North Pole, Santa himself has got his own problems. After centuries of being jolly, the constant tide of kids who believe, then don't anymore, is wearing on him. So he quits, hangs up the red suit, and is cringled no more. Where does he go? Santa Claus, Indiana, obviously. The story of how these three men are thrown together is told in the novel In the Saint Nick of Time, written by the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. It's about time there was a Santa Claus story for adults, so he wrote one. Will these guys save Christmas? Probably. That's how these books work. But you gotta read it to find out how. Go to www.carnivalofgleekcreations.com for more information about the book and some of the places you can order it. Happy Holidays! the thing about Cakewalk. It's never going to replace Tapper, of course, but it is pretty fun.
I think I get the sentiment in some of the reviews how it gets monotonous, could get monotonous after a while, but I haven't played it enough yet for it to feel monotonous yet. It's really more of a challenge right now. Um, I think the janitor cleaning up the mess, while not necessary, it is a fun little touch. They could just let the cakes disappear. It does actually not just provide a little humor. It actually does give you just a second to pause and regroup where you're, how you want to position your baker to catch the next cake. So there's some strategic benefit there. The cakes look really good. The baker looks really good. It's, it's just a nice looking game. And I think there's plenty of playability before it gets too boring. Uh, just like I say, I haven't gotten there yet. If you guys have thoughts about cakewalk, let me know. Or if you just have a, a good cake recipe. Or, you know what, if you just want to send me cake, you know how to get a hold of me. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story is titled Jack and Jill. Jack craned his neck back. Back? Back farther still. This mountain before him was high, really high. But his love for Jill was higher. She was on the other side of this mountain. And soon, he would be too. I mean, probably. Did we mention this mountain was really high? Jack adjusted the suspenders of his lighter hosen and these brogues were not exactly the best climbing attire. He chastised himself. No excuses, he grunted. His love made no excuses, and neither would he. The mountain loomed. Yeah, still, he had no carabiners, no rope, no nothing. But on the other side of this one obstacle, there was Jill. I'll just have to free climb, he said to no one. Best to get going, then. In the chill night, did we mention he was doing this in the dark? He ascended the icy vertical barrier between he and his beloved. The sun rose then, suddenly, as he knew it would, for the sun shone only for his beloved. Its warmth rivaled only by the warmth of Jill's embrace. Jack shivered. Yeah, it was really still kind of cold in here. No matter. And with that, Jack began his ascent. The going was tricky. While the face was clean, handholds were few. The icing on the face was deceptive. Many times Jack felt he had a good hold, only to realize he was holding effectively nothing. At any moment, he could plummet into nothingness, slipping for eternity through the loving arms of his betrothed. But Jack never turned back, up and up, closer to his beloved all the time. I'm coming, my darling, he said, just like that last night they were together. At the first ledge, Jack mantled, a climbing move where the climber uses downward pressure with his hands, to pull his body up onto the ledge. He sat looking out on the valley below, catching his chilled breath. Looking up, he thought he could see four more ledges before he reached the summit. He could hear in the distance the rumblings of the beast in the valley. Best to get moving. The second tier was easier going. The face was ribboned with elegant crevices that ably held his hands and feet. The roar of the beast, though, was ever closer. The third tier, the halfway point. I'm coming, my love, he shouted. But then, disaster nearly dashed our enchanted hero into oblivion. A storm of white showered Jack as he climbed, his feet slipping in the layer of powder forming on the sheer face before him. He felt his fingers slip, 
He desperately grasped for some sort of purchase, but the icing gave way. Jack felt himself tipping dangerously backward. Falling, he shouted to no one. This was how it ends. He envisioned the gaping, slavering maw of the beast waiting below to devour him. His flailing arms caught spiraling tendrils that suddenly appeared, unfurling from the summit. Jack grabbed hold and swung nimbly, nimbly back to the mountainside. Heart pounding, he rested a moment on the next ledge. One more tier to go. Once the storm had subsided, Jack resumed his climb. He was very nearly the top of the mountain when the mountain started to... move? What devilry is this? Jack groaned as he hugged the mountainside. The whole thing turned, dizzying Jack so much he thought he might plummet. Only the thought of his beloved waiting so close and yet so far saved him. The spinning subsided and with renewed vigor, Jack scaled the remaining distance to the summit. Yes, yes, I'm here, I'm here. He shouted as he dragged himself over the peak. His heart soared at what he saw there. Wearing a gorgeous dirndl and some fancy pumps, Jill waited there, a beacon in a snowstorm, beaming brightly. My darling, how did you get here? Jack asked in disbelief. I came for you. Jill said as she did that last night. The beast delivered me to you. The beast? Jack shouted, alarmed. At that moment, the beast lumbered into view. Fighting every instinct to be afraid, Jack bowed graciously. It seems, beast, I have misjudged you, he said. Emily, assistant to the executive pastry chef, giggled. I'm high as F, she tittered. Then she shook her head, tried to refocus. She had to get this wedding cake finished and out to the truck. She set down the cups of powdered sugar and brightly colored spun sugar on the cart and wheeled it out of the walk-in freezer, turning out the light as she went. The two cake toppers, Jack and Jill, clung to each other tightly as they always had and always would. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Comprotect.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Tortney for the storytime theme. It's a piece of cake to leave a review at Apple Podcasts for the show. Preferably a five-piece or five-star review with sprinkles and a really good filling between the layers of nice word things. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can also check us out on Instagram. And then, if you're tired of typing, you can call us. Leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 about really anything, and I will probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and stuff about this show, Atari Bytes, and for my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You know what else you can find there? Books that I've written, anything you want to know, pretty much, about the books that I've written, and some of the places you can buy them, including the brand new title, Second Duck on the Right, and other very short stories, which is out now. Wherever you like to buy your books, please go do that, and then please go back to that place and leave a review, because that really helps get the book noticed by other people. 
You should also, if you are so inclined, help out the show by subscribing at the Patreon project on patreon.com for Atari Bytes. Patrons can get stuff anywhere from thanks up until up to being uh, able to help program the show, uh, bonus content, early access, all sorts of cool things. Plus, you get to, in a sense, hang out with these fine Patreon supporters. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. My thanks to all of them. All right, we're about out of here. All that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. We're playing Krull, K-R-U-L-L, which is not, to my great disappointment, the Krull from The Power of Krull, the fourth Doctor, Doctor Who serial from the 1970s. This is Krull as in the really bad 80s sci-fi movie, Krull. At this point, I have not done my research. I don't know which came first, the game or the movie, but they somehow kind of sort of relate to each other. If it's like other adaptations, I'm guessing, pretty much in name only. But we'll talk about that next time on the podcast. If you have thoughts about Kroll, let me know. And whether you do or not, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.